succeeded. Some of the some of the kids in here in college are finishing up before Thanksgiving and Christmas, trying to get their classes done. You're probably taking chemistry. And if you're taking chemistry, you probably came across um, something called a litmus test. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the term litmus test. Okay, if, if you don't know what that is, ask Carl. Uh, he'll explain it to you after the after the service. Let me give you a definition of a litmus test. A litmus test is a test for chemical acidity or acidity using litmus paper. That's one definition in the dictionary. Or a litmus test is a test that uses a single indicator to prompt a decision. Or a third definition of litmus test, and I think this is the best one for our purposes, so listen carefully to this one. A litmus test. A critical indication of future success or failure. A litmus test is a critical indication of future success or failure. For example, the litmus test for being an elder in a New Testament church is a man's character. It is the critical indication of future success or failure. Or the litmus test for orthodox gospel teaching is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. That would be a litmus test for orthodox gospel teaching. So a litmus test then is a single indicator that... that a critical single indicator of future success or failure. Have I lost everybody? For Paul, for the Apostle Paul, and I believe this is true, for the Apostle Paul, the litmus test for the health of the Christian was thanksgiving, gratitude, gratefulness, Thanksgiving for the Christian is the critical indication of future success or failure. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to do something different for visitors here. We typically go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Today I'm going to do a biblical theology of Thanksgiving from the book of Colossians. Um, I think one of the major themes in the book of Colossians is gratitude and thanksgiving. Paul uses the term uh, six times um, in such a very short letter and spoke so much about thanksgiving. So I want you to find the book of Colossians and go to Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to be in Colossians reading a, a, a large portion of this wonderful book. So we're going to bury ourselves right into this wonderful book of Colossians today. But I want you to find Colossians chapter 2 and, and verse 6. Colossians 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Therefore, so whatever Paul has said in this little epistle before Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, therefore, it's going to be important. But here is, I think, the portion of the book where the beginning of the book is summarized and it forms a hinge, a doorway into the second half of the book. These two verses. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with thanksgiving. That's Paul in the book of Colossians, overflowing with thanksgiving. The idea is a cup, right? If you're not paying attention, you're filling up a cup. Thanksgiving, your kids, you're tasked to fill up all the cups around the table, and you're not paying, you keep pouring and pouring, and it just goes over onto the table, overflowing the cup. That's the picture here of this word for overflowing surplus thanksgiving. Listen, overflowing thanksgiving is the litmus test for Paul, for a Christian. I needed to hear this today, and I hope that it's encouraging to you as well. Now, Paul, Paul did not start the church in Colossae a man named Epaphras. Good name, isn't it? A man named Epaphras was probably saved under Paul's uh, ministry in Ephesus. And Colossae wasn't far. And Epaphras, having been saved, went back home and planted a church. And one was probably the, one of the main preaching pastors in the little church plant in Colossae. And the problem with this little church plant was that a false teaching arose within the church that threatened the church. And Epaphras was a faithful pastor. And he, but he didn't know what to do. And so Paul actually traveled, I mean Epaphras, this pastor, traveled 1,200 miles to visit the Apostle Paul as he was in, in his imprisonment and to get advice of how to deal with the heresy that had risen up within this church. Can you believe that? That's how much he loved the people. That's how much he loved his Christ. And so Paul said, let me, let me help you. He wrote a letter. Epaphras traveled back with the letter, and this letter was then read to the church in Colossae. Because if this false teaching was not checked, it would kill the church. Because the false teachers devalued, attacked the person and work of Jesus Christ. They said that he was less than God, 
and they said that his work was not enough for them. They attacked the sufficiency and the supremacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Colossians needed to recognize their position, or the position, I should say, the position of Jesus Christ as supreme above all things and realize their position in Christ, united to Him by faith alone, so that Christ would be in them the hope of glory. And so Paul writes this incredible letter and I would say it is absolutely bursting with thanksgiving, a major theme in this book of Colossians. So with that background in mind, let's look at overflowing thanksgiving in the book of Colossians by asking three questions and trying to answer them. Okay? First question, whom do we thank? Whom do we thank? Okay, go to verse 3 of Colossians chapter 1. Okay, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. I was walking in the hallway at the university that I still am an adjunct one day a week, Thursdays now, thankfully it's not as much time anymore. Walking down the hallway and the student senate board has the Thanksgiving theme. These colorful words, what are you thankful for? It's a decent question and people post their things on the board that they're thankful for. As I was reflecting on that, I was just thinking as I was walking down the hall, about that word thanksgiving. I think the more important question is, thinking of the word thanksgiving or giving thanks, to whom, student senate at Northwestern, to whom are you giving thanks? Who are, who are you thankful to? In our culture, don't ask that question. Don't make me think. In our culture, it is absolutely in vogue, are you ready, to say grace. Did you know that? It's the new thing. You say grace, and, and the kids get to say grace, and they talk about things that they're thankful for. And it's a new fad in our culture. In fact, it's the attitude of gratitude. It's cute. It's the attitude of gratitude that the scientists and the psychologists and the people are saying, look, if you have an attitude of gratitude, you're going to be more healthy. It's going to be good for you. Okay, I agree. But to whom... Are you giving thanks? The word begs the question. If the answer is truly answered, it's going to be other people or it's going to be thankful to myself or it's going to be thankful to fate. That is the number one answer. Thankful to fate or the universe. 
But I think this is the most important question about Thanksgiving, this first question. Paul writes, listen, we give thanks to God. Who? What God? The God of our imagination? No, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the triune God. That's to whom we give thanks. We give thanks to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have forgotten this as a society. We have forgotten that there must be an object of thanksgiving. And we've forgotten who he is. And we've forgotten his name. We've forgotten it in our families. We've forgotten it in this nation. But we hadn't always forgotten it. The first Thanksgiving proclamation was issued by the Revolutionary Continental Congress on November 1st, 1777. November 1st, 1777. It was the first Thanksgiving proclamation authored by Samuel Adams. It was one sentence of 360 words. Let me read part of it. Part of it. Quotes, For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received, together with penitent confession of their sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor, and their humble and earnest supplications, that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ, mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance. It is therefore recommended to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December next for solemn thanksgiving and praise. End quotes. Context for that was just after the bloody, bloody Revolutionary War. Our families were devastated but they were free. I think in 1777, generally as a culture, they could answer that question better than today. To whom do we give thanks? Answer, we give thanks to God. We give thanks to God alone. And giving thanks to God alone is at the heart of grace. Secondly, when do we give, thank God in the book of Colossians? Well, um, we're going to look at Colossians here. And there's really three times in the book of Colossians that we give thanks. And, uh, and I'll get more, it gets specific and then it moves a little bit more general as Paul goes through. So number one... We give thanks in our worship. So turn to Colossians chapter 3. And find verse 12. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, 
so also should you. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And here it is. And be thankful. And be thankful. He's talking to the whole church, not individuals now. And then he says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Stop there. So Paul, as he's speaking about when to thank God, when, he first speaks about our worship, that we ought to be a thankful people. We gather in this building with the family of God, and we raise our hearts, not just our minds, but we raise our hearts and our minds, and we sing something. What do we sing? Verse 16, let the word of Christ or the word about Christ richly dwell within you, you, plural, all of us, the word about Christ, the word of the gospel, the word of the saving gospel of God, we raise up from our hearts and we sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. This is not a tack on. We come here to, to pray. We come here to, to worship and with the people of God. We don't show up just before the sermon because, well, I want to get the sermon in. But we're, No, we show up. We show up to, to um, stick the litmus test in, to see if we're acidic or basic, to see what our heart is like and how we're doing and how we're going to tell how we're doing is how we sing from our hearts in corporate worship and our excitement to gather here with the people of God in the midst of the, of the absolute many weeks devastation of trying to walk in this difficult world. We gather here with anticipation and joy with the people of God to reset our eyes on the work and the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so thankfulness wells up within our hearts in our worship. You know, I remember dating Jody. It was, it was it's a long story, but I, don't, I wasn't a, a believer yet. I was a good faker. I would visit her church up at Chisauga Lakes Baptist Church, and they were all hymns and uh, Pastor Cable, he wasn't leading, but there was, they were leading the hymns and got the hymn books open. And I, and I would like, once in a while, not all the time, but I would kind of mock them. You know, in her, she didn't really appreciate that. Then I got saved. And I had come to the same type of church service the same hymn in, in, in my new found freedom in Christ, tears would stream down my cheeks with the old hymns of the faith. Because of the work of God 
in our lives. It's not God honoring corporate worship. Listen to me. It is not God honoring corporate worship without hearts filled with gratitude, without overflowing with thanksgiving. So number one, we worship, we, uh, number one, when is in our worship. Number two, and this is important in Paul's theology, and this is, we're trying to track Paul's theology here, not our own, is in our prayer. Look at chapter 4 and verse 2. Um, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. So, when do we thank God first in our worship, second in our prayer lives? Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Stop there. So this is a wonderful section on prayer. He starts out in verse 2 with how to pray. And then if you want to find out the prayer requests of Paul, what he liked to pray for, his prayer requests, well, 3 and 4 are the kind of the what to pray for. But I want you to look at verse 2 again, the how to pray. And the structure of this text is there's really three aspects of how we ought to pray. And they're not about the form of prayer. I use acts. I go adoration, and I go confession, and then thanksgiving, and I've got my prayer list, and I've got my prayer class. It's not that kind of how. It's the heart of how. It's the manner. It's the attitude. It's how we come to pray that Paul's concerned about. And he gives three aspects of that. And watch this. In the structure of the text, which I'm not going to prove to you, but the structure of the text, it's layer by layer so that the third one on the how, it surrounds and fuels the other two. So, how do we pray? Number one, with persistence. Verse two, devote yourselves to prayer. The word for devote yourselves is to be courageously persistent. It is, it is to hold fast something and, and to not let it go. It, it's to be busily engaged in it, persisting in it, adhering to it. So the translators say, I'm not sure how to do this. How about devote yourself. Devotion, we kind of get devotion a little bit. It's a decent trend. No, listen to me. Brothers and sisters, devote yourself to prayer. Cling to it. Persist in it. That's the first how. Persistence. Second how is with alertness. How? Keeping alert in it, literally, is the idea of paying attention. It really has something to do with staying awake, not dozing off. Prayer takes you being ready. You may need a cup of coffee. You may need to pour water on your head. You've got to pay attention. 
You've got to engage your mind. You've got to engage your heart. There's got to be a spiritual vigilance and alertness so that you're ready to pray and to not give up. So with persistence and with alertness, the text says, to pray. But the third how is the fundamental how that fuels the devotion, that fuels the awakeness, that is the whole reason that and manner of prayer, and that is with thanksgiving. Look how it is written. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. And I like the translation of the New American Standard. They get it. With an attitude of thanksgiving. In other words, thanksgiving undergirds all of our devotion to prayer, all of our persistence in prayer. It's the capstone motivation for prayer that fuels persistence and vigilance. If you have a grumbling heart, if you have a heart that is complaining, if you are afraid, if you don't even know, am I even on the road that leads to life? Everyone keeps telling me to run my race with perseverance. I don't even know if I'm on the race course. I have no idea. I have no assurance. No idea. If you truly are not resting in the finished work of Christ so that you're thankful for who He is and what He has done for you, you will never be devoted to prayer. You will never stay awake for it. You will never pray. You will never pray. You will never truly pray. Worry and the fear of man, stubbornness, you know how it is. Kids, when I had little kids, <coughs> thankfully I, this is not typically anything that happens anymore, but if you're, if you're a little kid and, and, you're just, and you're just giving your parent the silent treatment because you are angry and you are upset and they're asking you to do something and you are just angry, you're not going to crawl up on your mom and dad's lap and fellowship and pray. I feel like that's where I am a lot of the time. Filled with self-pity. Filled with anxiety. Filled with fear. And a lot of that manifests itself in complaining. So I'm not going to sit on my daddy's lap. I'm a bratty child. I'm going to give him the silent treatment. thankfulness and gratitude says oh daddy I'm hurting but I need you and I'm so thankful for you I'm so thankful that you're the, my shepherd you're the guardian of my soul I'm so thankful that you understand me I'm, I'm so thankful that I don't need to be afraid please forgive me please help me did you realize that that cry of your heart is prayer it's not that you do that and then you finally, dear Lord, thank you for 
the gout and, the, and I know to help them to know and finally get to prayer. That is prayer. And then you can pray about the gout too. But you have to understand Acts. Let's throw out Acts. A C T S. Acts, an acronym for how to prayer, like the book of Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving got its category, and supplication. No. It's got a T has to come out. It's now the Association of Christian Schools, ACS, right? And thanksgiving undergirds our adoration. And thanksgiving gives us hope to repent and to confess. And thanksgiving, right, fuels our prayer for others. Thanksgiving for the Apostle Paul is the very heart of worship the very heart of prayer. So corporately, the heart of our corporate gathering is thanksgiving. Individually in your closet, the very heart of what you do there is thanksgiving. And if I didn't cover yours, the third sphere is in our everything. Okay, because Paul as he likes to do, says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? What is the manner of this? Giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So now... When do we give thanks? Well, Paul is very specific. When we gather for corporate worship, what undergirds everything we do is a thankful heart. When we're in our prayer closet, fellowshipping with our God, which looks like prayer, then what undergirds and fuels that prayer life is thanksgiving. And let me cover the bases. Whatever you do when you go to work, when you're in school, when you're doing the dishes and the laundry, when you're crunching the numbers... Thankfully, only three days a week. When you're crunching the numbers, whatever you do, what's going to fuel that, the attitude that fuels that is thanksgiving. For Paul, thanksgiving was the litmus test for vital Christianity. Now, there's a hint right here. There's a hint here. Look at it. Giving thanks. We just talked about in the CE hour. Giving thanks through him. To God the Father. Did you notice that? A little hint of where we're going to go next. Because all of us right now are saying, okay, and everything. Oh, here we go. Another pull yourself up by the bootstraps type of sermon. Well, let me, let me finish this. In our everything. When? In the context, what is he going to do? In everything. He's going to go talk about He's going to talk about in the home and wives to husbands and husbands to wives and children to parents and parents to children. And so thanksgiving in the home. In the workplace, he's going to talk about thanksgiving in the workplace. He's already talked about thanksgiving in the worship gatherings. He's already talked about in private as we pray. In all times, home, workplace, worship gatherings in private, at all times and in all situations, give thanks, even in our suffering and trials. Now, you remember the very first Thanksgiving, autumn of 1621. 
the autumn of 1621, where the Puritans, a, not all of them, some Puritan worshipers and families who valued religious freedom fled to the New World. They were called the Pilgrims. And they took a ship, as you know, called the Mayflower. They arrived in the New World, and it was rough. It was rough. The first winter, they lost 47 people, almost half of their original number. Thirteen out of 18 wives died. Thirteen out of 18 wives died. Only three families remained unbroken. The children fared best. Of seven daughters, none died. And of 13 sons, only three. But even through it all, their hearts remained soft to God and they trusted God because they valued. It was worth dying for. They valued their freedom to worship their God, to be obedient to His Word. And because of that freedom, the high point of their week wasn't the Vikings game. The high point of their week wasn't family movie night. The high point of their week wasn't... The high point of their week was gathering to hear the Word of God on the Lord's Day. And they were filled with thanksgiving. So how brothers and sisters, if gratitude is the essential attitude of the Christian, which is another way of saying the litmus test, the essential undergirding bottom line attitude, according to Paul, in all of Christianity, then how in the world can we spill over with it? Because I don't know about you, but I don't feel like (laughs) that's really a description of me. Maybe I'm alone. Well, how do we get Thanksgiving to spill over or to, so that we're not running on enemy? How do we fuel up with Thanksgiving? That leads me to the most important point here as we spend the last few minutes on this. Why? Number three, this is the most important point. Why do we thank God? Now, here we go. Put your seatbelt on. And let's look at Christ. Why do we thank God? Colossians. This is Paul's theology in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. Verses 3 through 8 is one sentence in the original language. Verses 3 through 8 is one sentence. And that all of those verses in in, in chapter 1 verses 3 through 8 revolves around one word one word and it is the word at the end of chapter uh, end of verse 5 it's the word gospel it's the word gospel so why don't you just I I put five aspects of the gospel uh, for which we are thankful 
you can fill them in in your handout. But I'm just going to run through this and just we're just going to read a lot of Colossians and just rejoice and hopefully be filled up to the brim with thanksgiving. Paul writes, we give thanks to God. And he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. And so number one there, if you want to just quickly fill it in, the first point there is the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel is found in verse 5. It is hope laid up for you in heaven. You heard of that previously in the word of truth, the gospel. So the gospel is truth about the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. And at the end of verse 6, it's described as the grace of God. Understood the grace of God in truth. So that is the content of the gospel. And Paul is thankful for that aspect of the gospel. He's also, he, he's also thankful that the, that the people in Colossae have responded to the gospel. Okay, so number two, there's the content of the gospel. Number, number two, the response to the gospel. Look at verse 6. Which, okay, the gospel, end uh, of verse 5, which has come to you. Just as in all the world also it, that's the gospel, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So, there's a response to the gospel. Paul is filled with thanksgiving that Epaphras has been faithful to preach it and they have heard it and they have understood it. In verse 4, it says, they've believed it, faith in Christ Jesus. And so, the content of the gospel, it's hope, and it's, it's truth about the grace of God, but it has to be responded to, and Paul is thankful that they've heard it, and they've understood it, and they've believed it. And he knows that it's real because of the fruit of the gospel. Verse 3, says, actually verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, and then verse 8, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So Paul is thankful because he sees the fruit of the gospel, and the fruit of the gospel is love. And he's thankful that he sees that evidence of love um, in the lives of the people. But Paul gets really thankful when he begins to think about the, the next aspect, which is the power of the gospel. Look at it in verse 6 again. Which, okay, the gospel in verse 6, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God 
and truth. So the gospel is constantly bearing fruit in the lives of the believers. And it is increasing in them, in them corporately, in them individually. The gospel is powerful. It hasn't just given them fire insurance. It is bearing fruit. It is growing in and among them. It is active. And Paul is filled with thanksgiving about that. And he's also thankful for Epaphras, finally, the servant of the gospel. He's thankful for Epaphras who has taught them the truth. It says in verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Thankful for the servant of the gospel who teaches faithfully, teaches the truth, and hopes the best for his people and looks for that evidence of the gospel bearing fruit. And so that's what Paul is thankful for. And for that reason, he then begins to absolutely exalt Christ and pray further. Look at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to be asked that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Okay, and there are four things that he prays about that that worthy walk will look like. Look at the four aspects now of what that worthy walk looks like. Number one, bearing fruit in every good work. And number two, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Number three, verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And look at the last bottom underlying evidence, fruit, what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy, the one that sums up all the other three, the one at the very bottom is this, joyously giving thanks to the Father. Stop there. Thanksgiving, in Paul's prayers and in Paul's gospel, he begins to give thanks for the power of the gospel, but what the gospel looks like when it's active in our lives is thanksgiving. It is giving thanks to the Father that is that is really underneath everything. So, what are we thankful for? Look at it. Let's keep reading. Giving thanks to the Father for three reasons. Number one, because He's qualified us. Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Number two, He rescued us. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And then number three, we're thankful that he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we're thankful to God the Father because he's qualified us. Are you qualified to go to heaven, to have that inheritance, that hope of an inheritance? Are you qualified? We're qualified how? By what we've done? No, no. God qualified us through Jesus Christ. And 
he, he, he not only qualified us out by, by taking our sin away, the redemption that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, he qualified us, yes, taking our sin away, but he also qualified us by giving us the robe of Christ's righteousness. So we have, uh, we have our position in Christ through the Father is fixed. We're qualified. But that's not all. Because we are transferred out of what? The kingdom of darkness, right? Into the kingdom right now. Aorist tense. It's finished. It's done. We're qualified. It's finished. We're transferred. We're, we're rescued from the domain of darkness and pulled into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of that is what the life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ has given us. Qualified in Christ, delivered by Christ, transferred into Christ, freed from the penalty of sin, but not just the penalty, freed from the power of sin, and one day freed from the very presence of sin. So because of the forgiveness of the cross. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, so you can see where Paul is going. He's saying, you are not a thankful people. You're miserable. You don't even know if you're Christians. You don't know which end is up. You're depressed. You're filled with self-pity. You're afraid. You're pleasing people. You're an absolute mess. You know why? Because you've tampered with Jesus. You've tampered with the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to be a thankful people, we have ultimately have got to fuel down to the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ because the Father qualified us in Christ. The Father delivered us by Christ. The Father transferred us into the kingdom of Christ through the work of Christ. So if you're going to be thankful, you've got to see Jesus. And what seeing Jesus is, is faith in Jesus. We have got to believe. We have got to believe. Faith fuels thanksgiving. We've got to see Jesus, brothers and sisters. We've got to see Him. When we worry, we're not seeing Jesus. When we're complaining, we're not seeing Jesus. When we're discontent, we're not seeing Jesus. When we're afraid, we're not seeing Jesus. And all of those things are just signs and symptoms of unbelief. The chief enemy of thanksgiving is not believing that Jesus Christ is enough for us. We will not be thankful if Jesus is not enough to save us. We will not be filled with gratitude if he's not enough to sanctify us, if he's not enough to make us happy and whole, if he's not enough to stop our sin, if he's not enough to present us holy before the throne. We have got to be thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot question the sufficiency of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot add to the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have got to learn to rest in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul absolutely goes off about the person and work of Jesus Christ in, or, over, in order to cause them to become a thankful people. And that's how we're going to close in the next few minutes, just by reading and being filled up with the fullness of Christ. 
Do you see why he's going to Christ? Are you ready? Let's go to the next verse then. Verse 13, for he rescued us. This is our scripture reading this morning. If you are able and willing, please stand for the reading of God's word. You do not have to. It's a little bit of a lengthy reading. In light of what we've said, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to show you Jesus in the book of Colossians and to fill up your cup here this morning. Verse 13 of chapter 1, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image. Now He's talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is, here's this Jesus, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, That's what it means to be in the kingdom of darkness. But you're not there anymore. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Don't you dare move away from the finished work of Christ, he says. Don't you dare stop believing in Jesus. Don't you dare go back to the world and flush it down. No, continue to hope in Jesus. Don't be moved away from him. Now I rejoice, verse 24, in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on the behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Of this church, I was made, Paul says, a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Watch this. Here's this for a theme verse for our church. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, labor striving according to His power which mightily works within me. Then he says, keep reading. He does, for I want you to know little church under Epaphras in Colossae. I haven't even met you before. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not 
personally seen my faith. I'm praying for you from the prison cell that, your, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that, so that no one will delude you with pers- uh, persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete And He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of of your flesh... He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. And then He goes on to basically say, don't be consumed by the external things. Verse 20, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are no value against fleshly indulgence. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now that is how we get thankful. We've got to set our minds off of this passing, transient world and set our minds where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, knowing that He is there safely. We are tethered to Him eternally. We will make it home to heaven. We are kept through Christ, hidden in God. It's reserved for us. 
And we have to keep our focus on Christ. We have to keep that gospel that does not just fire insurance, but does all of that. We have to keep that big Christ and that big gospel focused on our lives. And then maybe people-pleasing will fall away. And comparing will fall away. And bitterness will fall away. And doubt of salvation will fall away. And hopelessness will fall away. So that we can say day after day, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And we can say with the psalmist of old, In Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to the Lord and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen.